Thank you for reading that so beautifully, and it's lovely to be here. It's particularly nice for for my husband, Tony, and I to be here because it's coming back to Suffolk, which we view as our home for many, many years, although we're not here now. And thank you very much for your welcome. It's been great to be with you. I want you to picture the scene. The sun's shining. It's very hot, perhaps even hotter than some of those summer days that we've had this summer. The sun's glistening on the water, the water is quite calm, and sitting by the water are a number of fishermen. Some of their nets are on the bushes behind them, drying in the sunshine. They're mending their nets, and suddenly coming towards them, they see a man who they've seen around, they've heard about, different to anyone else they've ever seen who suddenly looks at them and says, follow me. Many of us know that story very, very well, because those fishermen became the first disciples of Jesus, and they left their nets, we're told, and immediately followed him. I wonder why they did. I think there was something about the authority that Jesus had, the love in his eyes, Something very special about him that made big, strong, tough men leave everything and answer that call. I want to fast forward now a number of years to somebody else, not one of those first disciples, in fact, the brother of that man, one of his youngest brothers, a man called Jude, And in our Bibles, there is a little tiny, tiny book, almost towards the end of the Bible, written by Jude. We don't often look at it. It was a letter that was written to the early Christians, and it was explaining how some people had misunderstood what God was saying when he called them to follow him. But if you read that book, it's just one chapter there are some wonderful words that are embedded in it. And right at the beginning of that chapter in Jude, writing to those who he was uh, writing to, Jude said he was writing to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. And you know, we too, whatever we're doing, have been called by God, because we're special to him. He calls us to follow him. We've got a very ambitious title this morning, From Creation to Glory. Well, that's salvation in one sentence, isn't it, really? But let's go back to creation for a moment, because that calling comes right at the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning God. Everything flows from the absolute, from God. He is the source of all creation. And God says this at the beginning of the Bible, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all creatures that move along the ground. Let them rule over We're special because we're God's creation. 
And throughout scripture, that specialness runs through. I don't know how you're feeling this morning. Are we feeling special? We are special to God. And we're special because we're made in his image and he calls us. And throughout scripture, this idea of human dignity runs right through, as it said on the DVD, like a golden thread. The dignity of a man and a woman, a boy or a girl, made in the image of God. And those who he calls are in fact called to rule over the world. Right at the beginning, God says that, to fill the earth and subdue it. But I'd want to say this morning that that's not just talking about the natural world. It's not just talking about farmers. We have a responsibility to use every single opportunity we have to exercise God's power in the world. He's chosen us to be on his team. That's a bit mind-blowing, isn't it? God, the all-powerful, who can do everything and anything, has actually called us to be part of his team. God wants us to be stewards and tend his world. We're called to be salt and light. Powerful images that Jesus used. Salt that purifies, that preserves, that has to be spread liberally over the food. We're called to be salt. We're called to be light, highlighting the dark places in our world and bringing hope. You know, darkness brings fear. If you've ever tried to walk along in the dark when there is no light, it can be very, very daunting. Light brings hope. John Stott, writing about this chapter, some of you will know of the late John Stott, said that actually what Jesus meant when he talked about salt and light was actually Christians holding society together. I think that's a lovely thought. Holding society together. When we look at society today, perhaps in our families, perhaps in our children's schools, certainly in our local and national life, it's unravelling in all sorts of ways. We're people very often who are in pain because there are broken relationships. There's illness. There's despair. We're called to work as God's agents to hold society together. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament, true story, of course, but a story in the Old Testament of the Jewish nation. Everything seemed against them. They'd been taken into captivity in Babylon, the superpower of their day. I don't know, you know, we might think of Russia or China or America, but let's think of Russia or China for a moment. Just imagine what it would be like if suddenly Ipswich were attacked and we were taken away to a far land and everything seemed against us. And that happened to the Jews. And they believed in God and they thought that God was going to come and save them and they'd get back to their home country. And Jeremiah spoke from God and said something that they didn't want to hear. He didn't say God's going to come in a miraculous way and take you back and it's all going to be wonderful. He said, settle down, build houses, marry, have children. That's the long haul. 
and seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And that's what God's calling us to do in whatever way, to seek the peace and prosperity of Ipswich. That could be in all sorts of ways. It may be in thinking about which local councillors we vote for or which MP we vote for. But it will also be thinking about how we can be that positive influence of the love of God in our town and in our families. Why? Because God's called us and this is his world. And let's make no mistake about it. Because it's his world, we have a responsibility. There was a very famous Dutch theologian who actually became Prime Minister of the Netherlands for a short period of time, a man called Abraham Kuyper. And he said this, in the total expanse of human life, there's not a single square inch of which Christ, who alone is sovereign, doesn't declare, this is mine. If it is God's, then we have a responsibility to exercise his love, bring his values, his justice into our national life, in medicine, in the media, in education, in commerce, in research, in manufacturing, in parenting, in caring, in the creative arts. Any area of life is his. And as his most valuable creation, we're told to take every thought captive for him. Do you sometimes feel that society is unravelling? That things are moving at such a pace that things are changing in a way that we don't find very helpful? A growth of secularisation in society? Perhaps sometimes feeling we're the only Christians in our place of work? The me culture where the only thing that matters is what's good for me, not what's good for other people? We're called to take every thought captive for Christ. That's why working in care, probably one of the things that excites me more than anything else, is our leadership programme that you saw a little bit about on the DVD. Young graduates with potential to go out into the world in positions of leadership in the mainstream, not necessarily in churches. Two MPs in Westminster now we're on the leadership programme, working there to uphold God's justice. That's what we're called to do, all of us, wherever we are. We may not be as clever as them, but wherever we are, we're called. And you may say, well, I'm, I'm, I can't do anything. I'm not like them. I'm not really clever. Timothy says this in his letter. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Timothy's words are actually a sharp contrast to the spirit of this age. We're very cynical about politics, aren't we, many of us? Sometimes with good reason but we're called to pray for those in authority. How can we do it intelligently? Well, one of the things that 
we're privileged in care to do is to be able to give practical information, up-to-date information, each week there is an email that goes out to those who want it, giving something that's happened that week to pray for, to pray for intelligently. And if you do, if you want to, sign up for our mailing list with that little booklet that you've got in front of you and give it to me at the end, you can get that. A way of finding out how we can pray. You know, there are encouraging things. We've prayed for years, haven't we, that God would raise up Christian men and women in positions of leadership in our land. Well, as well as all the bad news, and let's face it, there is a lot of bad news, I want to tell you that God is answering those prayers. I know of numbers, countless numbers of MPs across the parties who are there because they believe God has called them to be there, who are behaving very courageously at times and sacrificing ambition to bring God's voice into Westminster. Some of you have heard me tell the story before of one Christian MP, wonderful lady, who I met with for breakfast, who said to me, you know, Nola, I feel the weight of responsibility on my shoulders enormously because I believe God has called me to this house for such a time as this. And she said, therefore, I daren't leave my house in the morning, and she leaves probably about six o'clock in the morning, without having spent significant time with God. That's the calibre of many of those MPs. Please pray for them. It's a lonely job. The pressures are huge and the temptations are great. But they are there. Please pray for them, and the prayer diary as well will help you. So we're called. There's one verse in Scripture in the message that I just love. This is what God is... If you don't, if you don't remember anything else of what I say this morning, take this away with you. This is what God is calling us to do. Go into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this sinful and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and the living God. Let's pray that as we answer his call, we will be that breath of fresh air. Because we have that message, don't we? We can make a difference. So Jude says we're called. But he also says we're loved. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. We read Psalm 8. We sometimes think in care that Psalm 8 is our psalm. It wasn't written for us, obviously, but we can take that message. We are created a little lower than God himself because he loves us. He says, I've called you with an everlasting love. I have loved you with an everlasting love. It's not a whim. It's not a nice fuzzy feeling, although certainly at times we will be very emotional about it. It's a fact. He loves us. One of the other books towards the end of our Bible was written by the Apostle John. And there's a wonderful verse there where he's writing and you almost get the feeling that he suddenly stops and takes a breath and says, wow. Behold what manner of love the Father has shed on us that we should be called sons and daughters of God. 
We're special to God. Nothing we can do can make God love us less. Nothing we can do can make him love us more. It's actually all of his grace. There's a wonderful book that was written many years ago by Victor Hugo that is now a musical, which probably many of you have seen, and latterly has been a film, Les Miserables. We went to see it, first of all, I won't say what the special birthday was, but it was one of my special birthdays. And as a family, we went to see the show. And I have to say rather sadly, it was rather a number of years ago. But nevertheless, we went to see it. And uh, I can remember somebody sitting near us, when it finished, said this, Oh, that was depressing. It wasn't depressing. It's the most wonderful story of God's grace. And if you ever, if you watch the film, then you will see that. If you watch the show, you will see that. The story of two men, Jean Valjean, convicted of stealing a loaf of bread for his sister's starving family and condemned into years and years and years in the chain gangs. Just a number. His complete identity wiped out, suffering in the most appalling way. And then he's put on parole. And his, uh, the man who's been in charge of him as a prisoner, Javert, says that he will hound him to the ends of the earth to watch how he's behaving. Jean Valjean struggles to find work. No one will employ him. He's starving. And he happens to find his way to where a priest lives. And the old priest welcomes him in, gives him food and clothing and a bed for the night. And in the night, when Jean Valjean wakes up, he decides he will steal the silver and take it and sell it which he does. But he doesn't get a chance to sell it it because he's captured. And he's brought back to the old priest. And it looks very likely that, of course, he will go back into captivity and suffering. And as his captors are showing the candlesticks and things that he's stolen, the old priest says, you forgot this one. I gave it to you. And in this story of the grace of that priest, Jean Valjean has a conversion experience and realises that he must dedicate his life to God, which he does. I find it fascinating, the contrast between that grace, that love, and how it transformed that man's life with his captor, Javert, who he meets from time to time, And if you've seen it, you'll remember the story that actually there is an occasion when Jean Valjean can in fact take his life and he gives Javert his freedom. Javert, in one way, is a very righteous man. He believes that God has set the world in order. The stars have their course. That it is the duty of men to uphold God's law, to obey him, and if they don't, then the punishment. 
and Javert cannot get his head around the fact that there is another way. Jean Valjean has showed him grace, but he cannot get his head around it, and in the end, takes his own life, while asking the question, can it be true? Well, we know, most of us here, many of us here, perhaps not all of us here, that it is true. God loves us. He loves us so much that he paid the ultimate price for us, giving his own son. But that's not the end. He loves us, and as Jude said, we're created, we're called, and we're kept. Many of us here will have years and years of experience of God's love in our lives. Some of us perhaps not so long, some of us perhaps not. But God keeps us. And in this book, Jude says, he can keep us from falling and present us without fault before his throne. Joy, mercy and peace, love in abundance comes from that. He's presented, we are presented to this great God and we can be accepted because of what Jesus did full of grace and truth. Let's just stop for a moment and think about that. This great God. We read Psalm 8, which talks of his majesty. You've set your glory above the heavens. I love that. I used to think of it as, you know, up in the heavens. You know, you just think his glory, he's wonderful. Look at his creation. He's actually above the heavens. God in his glory, his glory above the heavens. And then those wonderful words, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you've set in place, what are human beings that you're mindful of them? The son of man that you care for them. You made us a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned us with glory and honour. We're kept But we have to respect that majesty. And that's why, in care, and I'm sure for many of us, human dignity made in the image of God is fundamental to all we do. Whether it's the unborn child, whether it's the person with learning difficulties, whether it's the adult with, with disabilities, whether it's the elderly person, whether it's the trafficked woman or child, they are all of value. And if this morning you're feeling that you don't have value, then I'd say to you, just look up. Think of that glory above the heavens, the God we worship, who has made us and called us and loved us and will keep us. A little while ago in care, we suffered a major defeat. I talked about the successes, and there are wonderful successes, but something we'd been working on for probably two years, if not longer, and we were completely unsuccessful. And I was feeling a little bit down. And then somebody where I was read Job 38. We haven't got time to look at it, but do have a look at it sometime. It it paints that picture of the glory of God, where Job, who, if you know the story, had been through so much suffering and so much pain, and God in this wonderful chapter, talks to him about, did you set the heavens in place? 
is you make the snowflake. Our God is that great God, full of majesty, power and authority, timeless through the ages. From him, through him and to him are all things. So when we are feeling down and feeling worthless, let's look up and look at God. Because of his love, we can be and will be presented into his glorious presence. And you know, the end of Jude is some words, we may not know the book very well, but at the end of Jude, there are these lovely words. And let's think about them. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages and forevermore. That's the God we serve, the God we love, who keeps us, who will present us faultless. That's why we in care will work with you and others to make sure that that dignity is recognised and accepted and that we care for people. But what a wonderful salvation. Called by God, that great majestic God, to serve him. Loved with an everlasting love. And then not just left to fend on our own devices, but kept from falling with the promise of that glory before him with great joy. That's something to look up and be grateful for, isn't it? Amen.